Welcome to Triple Take, the podcast where we talk to interesting people about the book, album, and film that shaped them. I'm Carla Jean Whitley, and we're doing something a little bit different this week. I'm recording this intro alone because we actually recorded the episode last week live on the air with the Lockamy Brothers at Birmingham Mountain Radio. The guys sent me the audio from that conversation, and so that is this week's podcast. I hope you enjoy. Carla Jean, get us started here. Oh, hey. are, how are we gonna how are we gonna handle this podcast? So, what we would normally do off mic is explain to y'all how the thing works, but we're gonna do that on mic today because we're demystifying. Gotcha. Okay. Ooh. Okay. I know. Right. Pulling this is the back the curtain. Best idea I've Great. had in twenty sixteen. Good idea. Good idea. I'm not ashamed to say that. So what we typically do is we bring our guests in and we talk to them in these segments of about five to seven minutes. We're expanding it a little bit because y'all are two people. We got lots to say. Well, I met you before. I know that. And we are two people. Yes, but mostly just because you have lots to say. And Mm -hmm. so we will talk to you one at a time about the book, album, and film that influenced you. Now, what's interesting here is that y'all are two people Mm -hmm. with two very different picks. And so we are joined here by my co-hosts, John Hammondtree, who handles the music part of the conversation. Nice. That's right. I'm woefully under-equipped to do that. So. <laughs> I'm really just glad that I got that right, because John used to do film, but anyway, right. that's another story You altogether. nailed it, though. Yeah. His, name know, yep. His name yeah. is John. His name is John, and it has yeah. an H in it. And you, and you yeah. didn't say hammock tree, so that's good, too. Yeah. Although hammocks are nice. I know. And then Matt Scalisi talks about film, and I am the lucky book nerd. Okay, good. Now, of course, um, my buddy Will here made this real easy on me, but it's not my turn to go first. Anyhow, you picked one of my favorite books. Oh, did so I? Okay. Life's easy. Well, I can't wait to hear about this because I I don't know what Will's picks are, so this will be very illuminating for it me was, to hear. It um, was The Very Hungry Caterpillar. <clears throat> Reed would, if, if you just asked Reed, he would probably say, and with decent reason, hmm. um, well, Will has not read a full book ever. Oh. But I have, certainly. Is Reed the older brother? I am the older brother. I thought much, you were. Much older. Not much older, but I am Three the years? older. Four years. Four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good at That's this. Pretty good. Yeah. Anyhow, so what we do is we cycle through these segments, and we really use these works of art to develop a better understanding of who you are and why. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's That's pretty fun. It's think, actually a really hard question, so thanks, y'all, for yeah, being our guinea pigs. It's picks. our pleasure. Of course, yeah. I think the music one um, with John is going to be the most telling about me, not because of the album I chose, but because I had such a hard time yeah, with it, that. Yeah. Although I think it was a good choice. Because sometimes we'll turn it around and ask ourselves the questions when we need uh, a guest for the week, and the three of us haven't done it yet. We asked our outgoing person, Edward Bowser, and... It was very tough for him, and I'm not prepared to do my album. But you guys, let's yeah. talk about your album okay. real quick. All right, so all right, so I think the album I submitted. And it's funny because when Carla Jean and I started talking about this, my tendency is always not to pick one album per se, but like instead to say, well, my favorite group is this, and everything they've done is fantastic. But um, she made me nail it down, and and so I went with Luna's Penthouse as my my one album. That was the one that influenced me the most. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I had not heard of Luna. I had not heard yeah. of the, al- uh, the album Penthouse before I got the email from Carla Jean. Yeah. And then I started looking at it, and I was like, oh, well, you know, this is like a super group. You've got the Feelies, you've got the Chills, right. you've got Galaxy. Right. Um, and so, 
I really enjoyed the album. And tell me a little bit about why that album from the early 90s still resonates with you well, I 20 think, years later. I think a big part of it is when I think about them, if you were to ask me today, like, who are my favorite groups, I still would go back to the groups that I picked up on in my college years. And honestly, even though there's a lot of music I've started liking since then, um, I think that's just a time in life when music seems like extra meaningful and, and all these sorts of things. And that was right around the time when Penthouse came out. And so when we used to have to travel to Atlanta to see shows, and of course nowadays you can go to venues here in town and, and see fantastic bands. But in, in 1995, 96, you had to go to Atlanta to see bands. And so the first uh, Luna show I ever saw was for the Penthouse tour. Oh, wow. And, you know, I think, I think that was kind of, you know, endearing to me. I, I think it made me, you know, really latch onto that material. But also when you look at their whole catalog, I think, I think Penthouse kind of represents an, an interesting, in my opinion, pinnacle. You know, it's, it's not after, it's not the sophomore record. It, it doesn't fall in the kind of the later years that some fans saw as the decline of the band. It, um, I think it was kind of the height of their artistry, even though I, I'm still a big fan of all of their records. But um, and it has this like old school feel to it, where you know he kind of speaks in this antiquated language about girlies and yeah. going home early. Is there a song that jumps out to you as your favorite from the album? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a great question. I don't think there is, and I think yeah. that's kind of one of the things I like about that that record in a weird way is that sometimes the songs. Um, blend together for me. Uh, it's actually kind of the chord progressions are very similar. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things I always liked about Luna was the simplicity of the music. Um, of course, there's a lot of, of rich complexity there as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I'd be hard pressed to pick a song if I had to pick one. I like what you were saying earlier about like the music from your college years always kind of resonating yeah. with you the best because uh, my brother just started teaching English and he's teaching ninth graders and. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah that's a- and it's uh, he's just south of Atlanta, and he's teaching these kids. And we were talking about he was talking with his students about music, and he was talking about how he likes Jay Z and Kanye West, and they were like, "Oh, those are some of the earliest rappers." Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh-huh. "What?" Uh-huh. And uh, you know, and then I started thinking about it, and all these kids were born after Outkast last album came out. Right. So you know, growing up in Atlanta, not really even thinking that of. As that is part of the Atlanta scene and the new scene as designer. It's just I, that's when I started to feel old about my music choices. But okay, so over here on the other side of the equation, we've got Nirvana, right? Which a lot of explanations gonna have to go into this because I read the question completely different than Reed. I didn't pick like oh my favorite album or my favorite band. I, I read it as an album that influenced. Yeah, me. no, it, yeah. which. I just do not pick up on lyrical content unless it's really bad. I mean, if you're talking if about if it's like, Silverchair, well, yeah. Yes. I mean, if it's uh, who are some really terrible? Who is the Silverchair? Silverchair. Yeah. Silverchair. We'll go <laughs> yeah. If you're talking about like, or we could say designer also too. Yeah. Yeah. Nickelback. Nickelback. I mean, that's one of my go-tos. I don't date men who like Nickelback. Yeah, that's a good good decision. That's a good um, decision. I think Any, so too. Anytime I'm ready to make fun of a band here, I really like. Wait, wait a minute. Are they playing somewhere in town that we're <laughs> no. that we're promoting coming up soon? I don't think Nickelback's playing. It's okay. Not Nickelback for sure. Um, so anyway, so, audience. So I just oddly, because I think a lot of people do like connect with artists and be like, oh yeah, this this album was about this or whatever. Like I just could not care any less. And even if it did resonate with me, 
I don't know why I'm going to let that guy, you know, whatever. So maybe Elliot Smith is the closest that yeah. I've ever come to. And that's just, you know, when I was really sad at a couple of different, like, breakups, I guess. Right. If I was going There's something breakups. weird if it's Elliot Smith and Kurt Cobain or the artist right. that you <laughs> connect with. Them. Now, we <laughs> might need to talk later. Well, I do want to point out also that Will has picked a record that's called In Utero, In which Utero. just supports my argument that he's a mama's boy. That, there you go. That is true. Well, but he's he's the younger brother. Of that's, course That's he right, is. yeah. All right, so I picked In Utero because the drums on that record, and Grohl in general, but the drums on that record they kind of set me down a path of the way I played drums. And I ended up playing drums as a profession for a while. And so that really has gotten me to where I am today. So if I was really taking the question literally and thinking what album influenced me the most, it was that. And it was just from a musical standpoint, not like an emotional standpoint yeah. or from lyrical content. Funny thing is now these documentaries that have come out about Kurt, um, the last one especially, which had all the home videos and stuff, have made it where it's almost impossible for me to listen to Nirvana. <laughs> really? Why is that? Well, he's just came across as kind of a gross human yeah. to me. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things like growing up, I loved that band so much. And then, like, did, was lucky enough uh, to get to know Grohl a little bit. And he's such a nice guy and whatever. Yeah. And so it really just Nicest still... guy in rock and roll. Right. And it was yeah. like, oh, man, poor Kurt just had this addiction issue because of his stomach pain and whatever. And he just got a bad rap. And But no, no I think I just... think he was kind of a crummy dude. Well, and it, you know, it's interesting that you said you don't really connect with albums lyrically and look for the gr deeper meaning in it. And I mean, Kurt Cobain was very adamant that there wasn't a deeper meaning to this album, and he was, you know, opposed to people trying to project it onto it. Although it, it's kind of easy to see it in mm -hmm. songs like, uh, can I say the name of one of those songs? Oh, on, that's on a good there? question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in songs like "Rape Me" and "Oh Sure," yeah, and "Heart Shaped Box" and yeah. things like that. So yeah, yeah. it's just a, it's a it's a great sounding record. And for whatever, I mean, Nevermind was a very similar, but there was something about In Utero for me. It was like, oh, wait, this is the style of drums that I want to play. And so it ended up working for me. That's how I got my professional drumming gig was by that style. When I was looking up uh, some of the background on the album and the way that they recorded the album was different than they had recorded previous albums. And they basically just set up microphones around the room and uh, the producer philosophy with drum drummers was essentially if you have a good drummer just put mics around him and let him drum so somehow that jumped out and resonated so you said you guys didn't know each other's picks beforehand no. what surprises you about your brother's pick well you know actually i think that that's not surprising to me uh because i i've always known you know basically what will said that he was had been a nirvana fan and that had you know been influenced by Grohl. and of course Grohl is a fantastic drummer and musician in general um but especially drummer. Yeah, so especially that does, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but it, but I will say, just for anyone listening, if if I were to take it like Reed did and just pick a favorite band or favorite album, I would not have gone in that direction. So I, I just took took the question. Well, can I put you on the spot? What would what you have gone with? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe Queens of the Stone Age, the first Queens record. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, probably that. The first album I was ever obsessed with and continued to be obsessed with it for years was the White Album. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I approve of this choice. Just no. in case you needed to know, I, I did. I'm glad. Glad you said. Well, and then let's flip, flip it back to you. What yeah. would have been the album that most, or, or your favorite album? I guess because you well, influenced you. Here's the thing. I, I still probably would have landed on Penthouse, but um, you know, I I also had to stop and really consider Soft Bulletin by the Flaming Lips. It's just a, such a fantastic record, and I'm a huge. Um, you know, Magnetic Fields fan. Uh, I think Stephen Merritt is is just kind of a 
a lyrical genius and also uh, you know musically I like I like what he does and of course Yola Tango uh, was another you know those are my really Luna Yola Tango and the Magnetic Fields were the biggest bands out of college once again where I mm-hmm. spend a lot of time because you know what else do you have to do you're not working full time you're going to class a couple of times a week and so you listen to music and so I really had to stop and consider all of those bands but um, you know I, th- I just think Dean Wareham is is hard to beat um, you know, from Luna, I think I think he's just he's just tops. So yeah, yeah. thanks guys. We're excited to dive into your sure, books yeah. next. Absolutely, yeah. This is when it gets nerve wracking talking about talking about books, literature. There Let's you take go. Take a quick break when we come back. More with John, Matt, and Carla Jean from Triple Take Podcast. You can find it again on nail.com, iTunes, and Friends from AL.com, Matt Scalisi, John Hammontree, and Carla Jean Whitley. They also host Triple Take Podcast. The Triple Take Podcast, just Triple Take. What am I calling this? It's called Triple Take. Triple Take. I'll accept any of the above if you will go rate us on iTunes because oh, sure. I look at that regularly. We have seven ratings. Hey, congratulations. That is good. That is good. Yeah, Money sense. well spent. <laughs> I know, right? I was going to say. <laughs> and subscribe to uh, yeah. How many oh, yeah. family members you guys have? About that many. I actually, <laughs> I had to teach my mom what a podcast was because she said, what time is this going to be on? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Podcasts are the best. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. There's no doubt about I it. I just called you out on yeah local radio well, it's a really great idea you guys talk to people about their uh, the album the movie and the book that influenced them the most we already talked about our albums last segment now moving in I guess to movies right because here I see Matt Scalisi or where we, where I think we're going to do books first oh. we are going to do books. Yeah. books pressure is on me books next it. it's totally because I'm the only girl in the room yeah. or excuse me on the mic because there you go the interns are here. Praise the Lord for yeah. the interns. They are right behind you. Yes, they're sitting they right They are really here. important, but don't get me off on that rant because That's we'll right. run out of time, and I do yeah. have a podcast. And please don't start talking out. about equal pay for interns because uh, that's going to oh, be Oh, no, I get real. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. We could get me worked up, but instead we're going to get worked up about books, Fantastic. which is probably the best way to get a rise out of me. And so this is an interesting... Um, set up here because mm-hmm. okay so read we talk about like Englishy nerd things we sometimes. do yeah I still have your AP style quiz good from when you took that several years which ago. is good even though I do in my English class that I teach I do spend a fair amount of time making fun of the AP style book I'm sure that you yeah. do. and because you know anyone that doesn't buy into the Oxford comma what's wrong with those people Maybe next I should get the Oxford comma marked out. Interesting. For my next tattoo. Okay, we'll we'll talk about all that. We yeah. we can discuss that later. Yeah. But so what's interesting here though is English nerd to English mm-hmm. nerd, and yet your brother's book is the one that I've actually read proof for. Interesting. Although easy here because he picked one of my favorite books. Yeah, I'm fascinated to find out what this is. Not because I I don't think Will's read books, which he said earlier. I told you it was the very hungry caterpillar. You did say that, but I, I assumed that was a joke. It was. What yeah, do you think you it was, though? I'm going to guess it was either, I'm going to say, wait for it, that bell means, <laughs> I was either going to say, where the red fern grows, or to much, kill a mockingbird. Too much crying in where the red fern grows. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the To Kill a Mockingbird, no emotions whatsoever. No. Was it To Kill a Mockingbird? It, it was To Kill you a know, Mockingbird. You know, that doesn't surprise me because Will, when he was young, and of course, you all don't know this, you didn't, you know, but I've, I'm his older brother, and I know this. 
for many years when he was young, he was very racist. And after he read that book, it influenced him. Please don't say that when yeah. I've got a mouthful of beer, yeah, dude. Um, so it I, makes sense. I loved this book so much, and Atticus Finch yeah. in particular. I even named my band in high school you Atticus. Did. Oh, you did. Very um, sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Here's the thing. It. His first name Atticus. was The Finches, by the way. And I, I'm talking it's about Atticus that. Finch. Good I mean, job. the book in general, obviously, but it's Atticus Finch is why. Because mm-hmm. he, that dude is not real. That's not a real person. Right. And he had serious influence on my life. It's one of those things, too, like when I read it, that it just made perfect sense. The way Atticus treated people and talked to people and handled that case, I was like, well, yeah. And then to find out, like, oh, wait, that's kind of a weird like, you know, that's not how mm-hmm. everybody feels. Then it really kind of started to sink in with me. So I think for me personally, Atticus Finch has had a, a larger influence on me than a lot of real humans that and I've spent a lot of time around. This is the point at which we should warn Will not to read Ghost at a Watchman. Well, because, that was uh, obviously going to be yeah. my next question is, did you read Ghost at a Watchman? I have not yet. No. Don't do it. I'm currently finishing right now um, Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers, which is amazing. So if you had to ask me, like, what's my favorite book, I think that will, in the end, go down. It's not going to influence me in any way, but it's been one of the most interesting books I've ever read. So we should probably talk about that sometime when I've had a Xanax, because... Severe needle phobia over here, but I hear that book's really good. It's insanely good. So does that deal a lot with, with the sort of, like, Corpse theft, like body theft, from there's a good chapter about that. two, yeah, on that, um, which is just so much to learn about that. But now, anytime I see crime stuff here and there, I'm like, I wonder how how long that guy's been dead because I can tell you exactly what's happening with that body. So I really came in here prepared to talk about you know racial issues and morality yeah. and all this, and instead I'm about to have a panic attack yeah. because <laughs> I'm envisioning needles and scalpels, and we talked about C-sections before yeah. we came back on the Just air. Just keep so pouring the day. beer for Will. Well, and beer. I can tell you that that book stuff is very good. I read the first 40 pages of it Saturday night this past weekend to distract me from the Auburn game and it did the trick. It was very interesting. Very. I, I want to actually. I want to borrow it to read the rest. Is of this it. the appropriate time to say roll time? This, this is an appropriate is time to say ever, speaking of corpses. <laughs> speaking of corpses, uh, he's better at this than uh-huh. I am. But he's written about sports a whole lot more. <laughs> Anyhow, so Will, how did that influence your view going forward? I mean, you grew up in Alabama, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. Reed and I uh, born and raised here in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I mean, other than just it, you know, solidified my feelings on those issues, mm-hmm. right? And I guess did make me realize that, like I said, other people don't feel that way. And so, so that was the thing for me. It really kind of opened my eyes to some of that stuff, even though it's, you know, it's fiction. But it is. Hardly, though, for me. I mean, hardly fiction. It, um, I mean, I remember reading it in ninth grade, and, you know, I kind of joke that you tossed me a softball on this one because To Kill a Mockingbird is one of my two favorite books, and I'm shocked that not every single guest picks it. But I remember reading it and thinking, this is my book because I'm from Alabama, and oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But then on the other hand, read Slaughterhouse-Five. I had Mm -hmm. not read any Kurt Vonnegut. No Vonnegut. I know, isn't that crazy? Despite having a Vonnegut coffee mug. Wow. How about that? Because he says some real good things. Although I will say, a lot of times Vonnegut is not terribly popular with the ladies. Uh, He is viewed somewhat understandably as, you know, 
an author who has been problematic for the ladies. So well, I, I understand that part of it. Perhaps, interestingly, yeah. Nick Hornby is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. and he's typically a dude's yeah. author. True. But then I can't stand Hemingway or Faulkner. Right. Well, those guys. Right. Come on. Yeah. But yeah. what's interesting to me here between your pick of Slaughterhouse Five and Will's To Kill a Mockingbird, these are both really morality tales. Right. They're getting into some really deep issues. So tell me about when you first read this book and uh, where you were in life. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, Vonnegut is my favorite. Um, so once again, I, I when you asked me this question initially, I just thought, well, it's all Kurt Vonnegut books because right. I have a hard time differentiating between them because it, to me, they're all fantastic. Um, you know, I was interest, introduced to Vonnegut in high school, uh, reading his short stories, and I, honestly, I don't remember the first time I read Slaughterhouse Five, um, but it's one that philosophically, if you think about, like, mm-hmm. you know, what Vonnegut believes, and um, you know, I think I kind of fall into that humanist, you know, line of thought. He was he was a free thinker and all these kinds of things, and I think Slaughterhouse Five represents a, a really interesting. Um, sort of meeting point of him as a literary author but also as a science fiction author mm-hmm. there obviously there's a lot of science fiction to it um, but I, I think it kind of I, on a regular basis I think about the way Billy Pilgrim learned to think about life and to view it not as you know just a chronological series of events but to step back and, and kind of view the whole thing and not not feel too stuck in one part of your life um, mm-hmm. so I don't remember when I first read it necessarily but it's one that that i always kind of go back to for analogies when i'm talking to students about like hey good news you don't have to worry too much about this bad situation you're in because you know it's a mountain range that you're looking at um so yeah well and speaking of good news the book deals a lot with ideas of christianity morality Mm -hmm. free will and that sort of thing and growing up in the american south how did all of those ideas play into your life and how were they influenced by this book? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, especially I think the idea of religion is something that Vonnegut, for someone who was not a religious person, deals with an awful lot. The other book I considered choosing was Cat's Cradle, and, and that is a very, that I highly recommend that. If you enjoyed Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, Cat's Cradle is a great one to follow it up with. Um, you know, I, I think those those are the kinds of issues that I, I find myself thinking about a lot. And so I think that's why Vonnegut, you know, resonates with me. Um, and, and I guess, you know, it's funny because it's been a while since I last read Slaughterhouse-Five, but I'm about to teach it with my 11th grade students mm-hmm. starting in about a month, which I'm extremely excited about to kind of revisit those themes and, and, and get a new listen to, you know, what Vonnegut says about it and see it through the eyes of my students. Well, and that's so interesting, that time in life, too. So. Yeah. It's, um, I think, particularly interesting to hear a teacher who's going through those issues. Yeah, and I can't wait to now teach it. I've always only read it as a consumer, so now it'll be interesting to see it from the other side. Very Again, cool. I think the big takeaway from this segment is I'm not a racist. Will's <laughs> no longer it's very a important racist. For everyone will to with know the that. big picture. <laughs> um, I will point out, too, uh, that we recently, we have a psychiatrist that comes on the show once a month, and we took this test that mm. basically tells you if how racist you are. Yeah. Everybody's racist, but how racist you are. I kind of 
You did it on the air. I came back non-racist. Mm. Wow. Non-racist. Yeah. You just Zero? said everybody's racist. Because yeah. that's what it, you go into this and it's basically, I mean, that's the thing. Maybe. I think what that means is you're not human. Uh, maybe maybe yeah. that's it. I think he's in severe denial. And actually, I think my super racist outcome on the test actually just suggests that I have a, a lot of empathy for people who are struggling through racism. So <laughs> perhaps. Y'all are never boring. <laughs> Thank you, Carla Jean. Yeah. All right, let's see a quick break. We come back. We'll talk to Matt. This is it's not the first time tonight we've said things right at the exact same time. That's right. Jinx. Gonna have to stop that. Talk to Matt Gleesey about our favorite movies. Looking forward to this one. You don't think God sees? God is a luxury I can't afford. Welcome back to Brother Radio. I'm Will. He is Reed. We're hanging out. With John Hemmentree, Matt Scalisi, and Carla Jean Whitley from AL.com, and Triple Take, which is a podcast that you can find at AL.com, iTunes, wherever you find podcasts. We are recording some of that right here, now live on the air with you guys. We already talked about our favorite album and our favorite books. Now it's time to talk about our, fa- well, I'm going to say favorite, the, the most influential. Most influential. Mm. So now it'll be movies. This one was kind of interesting for me as well. I can't wait to hear what, what you picked. And I have no idea what you picked. So so I have to say, I, first of all, quick sort of shameless plug. I, I'm also on a movie podcast called Film Nerds Unlimited, which is on iTunes. And I'm this is kind of my, my primary passion in life. I mean, I do sports for a living, but movies is what I spend a lot more time thinking about and geeking out over. You guys picked some excellent movies for this segment i'm oh, really really nice. i'm really really glad that i get to talk about these with you guys so first of all <clears throat> i, I want to know did both of you grow up watching a bunch of woody allen movies or is this a situation where reed you just picked one particular woody allen well movie? now here's the thing i am a huge woody allen fan okay. but will always makes fun of me for liking woody is allen it because films. of the the He's a deplorable human being. It's pretty because much yeah, he's a, he's anti-Semitic. Here's, here's what that's I'd what say. It is. I think yeah. I think that Woody Allen is the ultimate test for me of can I appreciate a great artist's work and detach uh-huh. his probably unsavory real life character, from which it. I'm having trouble with with Nirvana, as it's, we talked about earlier. Yeah, sure. Look, it's and I I can't fault anybody for feeling that way, but I I have been a Woody Allen fan since college. I've sort of consumed all of his movies. Yeah. You look kind of like Woody Allen. Do yeah. I? Oh, I was about I to don't say know about that. that, man. I think the way you said "consumed" right there sounded like Woody Allen. <laughs> so, is this the part where I can hop in and say I've never seen a Woody Allen oh, movie? Oh, what? Ugh. Well, I have to say, here's my thing this, with Woody Allen. This was, is why we didn't give her own yeah, mic for this. Jeez, Louise. Reed Reed went through a phase in his early twenties mm-hmm. where all of a sudden it was he was obsessed with Woody Allen. Yeah, it happens, and I think it turned me off so much. <laughs> like, you know, like if you have, I had a friend uh, who would. Talk to talk to me about incredible comedians, but he would like do their act, yeah, and it made me hate that comedian, right? And then like I wouldn't listen to Mitch Hedberg for a long time because I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, that guy's not funny. But then turns out he is. He's really turns funny. out he is, yeah, yeah. So this is a similar thing. Reed would just talk about Woody Allen so much that I just totally blocked. Sure, it. yeah. I was like, no, nope, it's understandable, I guess, for for a sibling factor, especially. Yeah. So so here's what I want to know though. Okay. Why? If, have you seen most or all of his of his movies? I feel like I have seen probably at this point a good eighty five to ninety percent of his films, and the gaps are in the last ten years. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it's it's this is a thing that me and some of my my movie nerd friends waffle on. It's hard yeah. to pick a favorite, and in sure. part because 
a lot of them are kind of similar, but why did you settle on crimes and misdemeanors? I'm glad you asked that because that's what that was the difficult thing about this question. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be a Woody Allen movie, um, and I chose crimes and misdemeanors because I think it is the best example of a mixture of his comedic work, but also his very serious, heavy philosophical stuff. Um, you know, so that that's why I chose it. Yeah, that, that's always just. I mean, I completely agree with perfect you. Perfect crossroads. It's a good. That. It's a good example of two things he does very well. But I, I want to get a little bit more into probably the the main sort of theme mm-hmm. of crimes and misdemeanors, which again is the thing that comes up over and over in Woody Allen's work. Uh, but it's pretty dark, and it's yeah. um, it's essentially the the if this movie has a thesis, it is that. Mm-hmm. The universe does not care about you, right. and bad people get away with good things, yeah. and bad things happen to good people. Is is that something that you carry around with you inside? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny because earlier today I listened to the Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows, and I think it it, it makes me think of, of, you know, crimes and misdemeanors mm-hmm. because it's sort of like, hey, everybody knows, like, this whole thing is, is just kind of a crock. Like, the bad guys win. It just it doesn't matter right. what you do. You're just kind of stuck here. And and I don't think of myself as a pessimistic person, but I do think that that's sort of the basic truth of the matter. And I think uh, you know, crimes and misdemeanors does a good job of pointing that out. I think also there's a, the add-on that, that Woody Allen would probably say to that is that that actually doesn't really matter that much, yeah. and you shouldn't really be upset about right. that fact. Yeah. So, uh, so all right, I, I want to go. I wanna, I'm going to go over to Will and. and this is a big change of tone, yeah. which is, I mean, you didn't really, I don't think you settled on one movie, but you gave me a director, which is okay. So who did you, who, why don't you tell us who you Yeah, it was one. Christopher Guest. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So I just said really anything from the Christopher Guest mm-hmm. uh, mockumentaries, but specifically, this is Spinal Tap, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman. Those three for me are my favorites, I think, out of mm-hmm. out of it. Now I'm looking forward to this new mascot one that's coming out yeah, soon. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Um, but in, here's the thing. Like, those are some of my favorite movies. Right. But influential because of the line of work that Reed and I went into. So radio, yeah, we kind of say things we don't actually think here on the radio, but mm-hmm. for the most part, this is Will and Reed. Mm-hmm. TV stuff is not at all. Like anything we've done TV-wise, luckily, we were really lucky to work with some of the folks at Robert Clay and some of the folks that you guys work with now. Um, and of course, Rob Briscoe and Gray Lloyd. And those guys put us in this position all of a sudden, like, hey, here's a TV show you can have. And basically be, you know, satirical about everything you say. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, that's the kind of stuff that I was going back to was like, oh, Spinal Tap and how none of that stuff was scripted. And basically, you would just go with a theme and just bounce all stuff off of each other. And that that's the way Reed and I did the shows that we've done and that's the true network stuff and all that so what do you remember what the first christopher guest movie was that you saw it would be this is spinal tap okay yeah, yeah. which he didn't actually he did not direct that yeah, no but true. i mean it's it's definitely carries kind of his his feel that that the rest of his movies would i i think i think the first encounter i had with him was pretty late which was best in show hmm. and it was it was so so surprising the first time you see one of his movies because it kind of sneaks up on you if you're not I mean obviously we've all we're all very familiar with mockumentary now I mean it's very it's it's a genre of TV sitcom basically right, yeah. but I think in the 90s when we were you know when I first encountered this kind of movie it's definitely something that you have to like hear a few of the lines hit you before you realize oh this is 
like this is actually comedy. Like this is not this yeah. is not for real. Right. So, but I, I think one thing that sticks out about his movies too, though, while it's very satirical and he's you know making a lot of fun of all of his characters, there's definitely a lot of sympathy towards those people, which is very hard to do. It's hard to make fun of somebody and still generate sympathy for that character. Which Treat them like people. Yeah, it's no, very common very in his real. movies, though. Yeah, yeah. Especially Waiting for Guffman. Definitely. I think that's oh. the one where it's like, oh, man, you like cringe for some of those yeah. people who are comedic characters. Right. And yeah. still you're cringing. And I feel like uh, one, one that gets overlooked a lot, too, A Mighty Wind, was one mm. that I, I kind of, I think people... That kind of came and went for a lot of people, but that has such a such a, a really like sad and beautiful little love story kind of contained within it too. So he's really good at doing that stuff. Family Tree, if you haven't seen too, that was his HBO series that came out not no. that long ago. Yeah, it's very very good. Yeah, well, I'll mark that down steal, right now. Steal yeah. somebody's HBO. Yeah, password. you're gonna have to check yeah. that out. So does does. Is there any crossover for you, Reed, with with uh, Christopher Guest? Are you oh, a I'm a big fan of yeah. Christopher Guest, and and I like all those mockumentaries. Uh, you know, and like you said, I mean, before that, it really it was Spinal Tap and the Ruddles, and that was about it mm-hmm. when it came to mockumentaries. So, and so many people uh, thought Spinal a, Tap was real. The Woody yeah. Allen one, um, Zelig. Zelig, yes, yeah. right, yeah. sure, that's a good point. He too, dabbled yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I have to flip it around the other way too. Will have you seen any Woody Allen movies, or have you just? taken a stand on it philosophically I, I am sure that i have i have but <laughs> Which i just to say no i have no recollection i have to i have to say this okay? okay if you if you have not seen one and this is a little non-traditional mm-hmm. i would say go watch midnight in paris if you okay. haven't seen it okay. yeah. everybody's going to tell you annie hall which is obviously a great movie but go see midnight in paris and if you like it you can take it out from there. It's an incredibly difficult movie to dislike. That you is a said, good film. You just said, go see it. Is it out in theater somewhere? <laughs> yeah. Go see it at my house. <laughs> go see maybe. it at Reed's yeah. house. That's okay. right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Carla Jean wanted me to let everybody know, by the way, that she has seen a Christopher Guest movie. Oh, no, good. oh congratulations. Yeah, that's a, that no. Oh, yeah. She, and also, she needs to see Annie Hall. So. Um, apparently, I do as well. I, yeah. I, I, Annie Hall is great. It's one of the greatest Annie movies Hall of is the 20th century. Yeah. It gets Okay. Yeah. So, Sally. Anyway. Um, well, thank you guys so much. This yeah, is this a, yeah, thank you. This has been very, very interesting. And we have people tweeting in also saying their favorites as well. So we'll kind of go through those during the break. Um, but again, you can find this at ale.com, also on iTunes, anywhere that you find the podcast. Triple Take is the name of it. John Hammontree, Matt Scalisi, and Carla Jean Whitley. You guys are great. Thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. That's it for this week's episode of Triple Take. Thanks to Will and Reed Lockme for joining us on the show. You can follow them on Instagram at Lockme Brothers and under the same handle on Twitter or Facebook. You can also find Birmingham Mountain Radio on Facebook, on Twitter at BHAMMTN Radio, or on Instagram at Birmingham Mountain Radio, all written out. I'm Carla Jean Whitley, and you can find me online at Ink Stained Life. You can also follow my co-hosts. Matt Scalisi is on all of the social media at Matt Scalisi. And John Hammontree is on Twitter at John Hammontree and Instagram at Birmingham Hammontree. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to y'all then.